0: I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started
1: by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney, for NPR Illinois Community Voices, and for the Front Row Network. I am your host, Craig, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Mr. Brett Rutherford. Hello. And Miss Vanessa Ferguson. Hello. How are you two doing today? I'm excited because we've got a really oh my fun gosh. interview. Such a fun yes. interview to have. Uh, we actually have been kind of behind the podcast. We've been waiting and hoping for this interview to happen for a while. And we are excited to get the opportunity to talk today to Kevin Rafferty, who is an imagineer that basically whatever you've ridden in the Disney parks recently... Kevin has had some hand in uh, from the Tower of Terror to Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway to Cars Land to Test Track. We talk about uh, so many things uh, that we love about the Disney parks all the time, and Kevin is instrumental in all of those properties. We cannot wait to talk to him today. Brett, tell me, are you excited about this interview? I'm excited because
0: well I mean he's he's done it all and we're going to talk to him and oh my gosh I'm sorry (laughs) freaking out sorry I will I will I will calm down I will calm down.
1: Vanessa what do you think. (laughs)
2: Well, I am just so excited to talk to him. Uh, Obviously, we read the book uh, near the beginning of the pandemic, and it was just so delightful. It was like a a breath of fresh air in a time that was a bit chaotic. So it it was so fun to talk about Disney and his humor in the book is just, oh, it's so fun. I feel like I already know him, so I can't wait to talk to him.
1: We should mention uh, that he does have his own book out there, and it is incredible. Uh, I'll hold it up here, but I'm sure Brett will do some magic for our video viewers as well. But it's called Magic Journey, My Fantastical Walt Disney Imagineering Career, and it truly is a great book. It's a wonderful present for anybody that is a Disney fan in your life. I know we're in the holiday season, and uh, this is actually Thanksgiving week, and we are so thankful for this conversation, first of all. But also, this is a great purchase for someone that's interested in the parks or wants to keep that love of Disney alive Kevin really walks you through his entire career and his career is phenomenal it's just incredible the opportunities and the magic that he has brought us all so I cannot recommend it enough and I want to get to this interview so here we go here's our interview with Kevin Rafferty And we are pleased to welcome Kevin Rafferty to Beyond the Mouse, NPR Illinois Community Voices partner. Hi, Kevin. How are you?
3: I'm doing great, Craig. Thank you very much. This is exciting. This is fun.
1: Absolutely. We're so excited to get to talk to you today, and and especially because we all loved your book so much, Magic Journey, My Fantastical Career in uh, Disney Imagineering. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. We can't recommend it enough, and we'll Mm -hmm. talk about it a lot during this conversation. (laughs) But you know, my first question to you actually is really where your career started with Disney and uh, where the book starts. So you started as a dishwasher at Disneyland, And you could tell from the very first page that working for Disney was something that you really wanted to do. What was it about the company that really drew you to wanting to be part of uh, the Disney
3: team? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I think the answer is pretty easy in that as a a creative soul, I was always enamored and inspired and entertained by the entire world of Disney, you know, by its showmanship, the art. The, uh, the design the storytelling TV shows I mean every Sunday night my family and I were gathered around the TV for you know wonderful world of Disney and um, Disney movies and animated movies and um, I just I grew up down the street from Disneyland so I have memories uh, lying in my my bedroom at night listening to the fireworks at Disneyland just down the street and you know what I still can today Oh, wow. That's
0: so cool.
2: (laughs) Well, um, I actually have the next question, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. So you can tell by the book that you just bring so much joy into what you are doing. And you seem like such a fun guy. We feel like we already know you. (laughs) And uh, when we interviewed Tom K. Morris, he essentially said you are a fun guy, but you also know uh, when to take a project seriously seriously. So, um, can you? It got me thinking. Can you tell us a little bit about your leadership style and your philosophy about motivating those you are working with, or, or those who are working under your direction?
3: Sure, Vanessa. I, I my leadership style might be a little uh, unorthodox um, from most because this is going to sound really weird, but I like to let the the project itself, the vision lead the team. I'm just kind of there to course correct. And and I'm actually a roll up my sleeves kind of guy. And I work alongside my team members. But when I when I work on the creation of an idea for an attraction concept, for example, I work really hard to make sure that the story of the attraction and the vision is crystal clear. And then everybody can kind of rally around that and and own it together. And and if you know what exactly what it is, then you can kind of decipher how you're going to get there, how you're going to bring it to life, you know. And, and imaginary dreams come true because teams come through. And uh, I always applaud and and my team and and tell them how much I appreciate them. And they are involved in every aspect of it, so it's not just me, you know, and them. It's me with them. Um, but but what, what, there's kind of a magic that happens in that the team. It's really passionate about the idea because they know exactly what it is. They own it together. They they feed off each other's passion and ideas. And um and and when we're, we're working on a project that's really special, in fact, my last project, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway at Disney's Hollywood Studios uh, at Walt Disney World, the entire team knew we had something really special. And so that's what what kept us going that's what fueled us that's what what fired us fired us up every day and each other as well so it's also about you know mutual respect and and appreciation and admiration for all of the achievements that the team is accomplishing uh step by step as we bring it from what i like to call from the spark all the way to the park That's wonderful. You know, what I think is interesting about
1: how you're talking about the collaboration just in reading the book, what I loved about the writing style that you have is that it truly is like you're having a conversation with us as we're reading, because the way that you write is extremely conversational and it's, it's just really fun. So that's one of the things that uh, you don't get that a lot out of these type of um, memoirs or anything you you have so much fun in your writing and you can tell that maybe you bring that fun to your work as well and you have to in Imagineering right so uh so that's just wonderful but Brett I know has a question about your early work at Disneyland
0: okay well we all loved reading your book and I especially loved reading about your early Disneyland work experiences and when I was it was so funny when I was reading it I texted Vanessa to say that she was really going to love your humor (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> and your storytelling
0: skills, yeah, you know, I did. <laughs> and she, you know, and I'm like, Oh, you're going to love it. So, you know, so, um, but you also wrote in your book um, that although you wanted to be an animator storytelling was where your real talent lies. How did that realization come about? Uh, was it a means to an ends or some really, really hard soul searching?
3: You, you know what, Brett, it's, it's really, and I love that question because I really didn't know that the story was in me until I, I kind of discovered that I I was kind of misled in thinking that it was about the visual art. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was, you know, an, an, another answer to the question about why I wanted to work for Disney is because of just beautifully rendered and, you know, hand drawn movies like Pinocchio and, and Claude Coates was the background designer for uh, artists for a lot of the, the backgrounds for Pinocchio and he, and his work just so inspired me. And I actually, sidebar story, I got to work with, with Claude Waltz in Imagineer, Imagineering years later, which is a real thrill. But, um, but I, I always thought it was the art that was part of the, that was the emotion, but it's part of the emotion. The real art of an animated film is the power of the story that actually pulls you in and makes you forget about where you are and, and what's going on. In fact, I've, I've had lots of experiences where as an Imagineer, I've been invited into early um, animated film, um, you know, works in progress. And even though they're just pencil sketches on the storyboard, I know it's going to be great because that all goes away and I get so pulled into the story. Well, I, I always wanted to be an animator because I wanted to be a visual animator and make moving pictures and draw moving pictures and things like that. But, but as I, as I evolved and progressed in my career at Imagineering and I realized that it's not so much the drawing but but the art of storytelling and, and and that's the magic of 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 an animated film and um as my career progressed and i became more involved with story development and script writing and things like that it suddenly dawned on me that I, you know i'm glad that i not that there's anything wrong with being an animator, it's absolutely an amazing profession, but I'm glad I didn't become an animator because there was a storyteller inside of me waiting to get out and I didn't know that until I began the Imagineering story uh, in my career and I realized the value of, of creating immersive experiential three dimensional stories which kind of harkens back to Walt Disney's original plan for Disneyland. in that, you know, that was his, his next logical step as a storyteller, you know, after television and movies, how else can he immerse his guests into the stories? Well, to do it physically. And so it all, I'm, I'm very blessed to to have kind of gone that route and have discovered myself uh, in that regard. And, um, and, and then back to, to the writing style of the book, I, Everybody always kept saying, "You know, when, when are you going to write your book? When are you going to write your book?" Well, I never really set out to write a book as much as I had just sat down to tell stories, and maybe that's the style that comes out. Is it's just it's just like me talking, and that's just the way I the way I write. It worked. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
1: yeah, we we certainly love it. And it's really interesting because your story. Uh, figuring out that storytelling element. It's, it's kind of entwined in the Disney company because we've heard about from the other Disney legends who uh, may have started as animators and then were brought into WED or whatever the case may be, Exitensio saying I've never written lyrics to anything. And now he uh, he's so masterful with Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion and all of those other uh, attractions that he was able to work on, you know? And, and so it's, it's very, very cool to hear that that continues on that kind of uh, evolution of trying to figure out exactly where you're, best role might be and that the the company has allowed you to kind of foster that and now i did bring a red pen today i knew that vanessa had a question about marty sklar i knew that's where it was going
3: (laughs) (laughs) Marty's red pen (laughs)
2: <laughs> Nicely done, Craig. Well, um, we love all your stories about Marty and thank you for sharing his notes to you with us. For the listeners who haven't yet read your book, what was it like working with Marty? And, and do you have any favorite stories that didn't make it into the book? And, and if not, what was your favorite Marty story?
3: Well, you know, Marty Scalar was with Walt Disney Imagineering for over 50 years, which is pretty remarkable. And he was kind of our fearless leader for a big majority of those years. And I personally got to know and work with and got to, got to love Marty Scholar for about 30 plus of those years. And uh, we, we had a really great relationship. We had a lot of fun. And, and you know, earlier in, the, in our conversation, we were talking about, you know, fun, having fun. And Marty always used to say, well, you know, you can't really create fun until you, unless you're having fun yourself and And we really did, but you know Marty, as much of a great sense of humor as he had, and as a great leader as he was and and a mentor and a friend, he also was a great example because i think I think I have really Vanessa, I have ten million stories I could go on all day about about Marty, but the one that really sticks with me actually in a strange way doesn 't really have anything to do with with the humor and the fun that we had. Uh, it had to do with how much Marty really loved what he did and how much he really loved the parks. And the evidence of that was one day Marty and I were invited to go to a, a media event that was going to take place in the Golden Horseshoe uh, venue. And it was going to start early in the morning. And Marty, as it turned out was a lot like me and that when I had things going on at Disneyland, I would always get there really, really early. So I could kind of walk around all by myself and just kind of take it all in and enjoy it. And I got there that particular morning about six, six fifteen, And I was actually surprised to see Marty in the distance because he had just gotten out of a recent surgery. So he was kind of hobbling along and walking with a cane. And I saw him do a double take and kind of veer off into Frontierland. And I I didn't want him to know I was there. I just wanted to see what he was going to do. And so he got into Frontierland, and there was a little piece of paper, you know, about two inches square, and Marty kind of hobbled over there. and, And you could tell it pained him to reach down and pick that up. But he picked up that little piece of trash, and he walked over and put it in the trash can and had a little smile on his face and went on his merry way. And he had no idea anybody was even around watching him do that, so that was just proof about how much he loved the parks and how much he influenced us uh, influenced us in that regard so that we could put all of our love into our work that went into those parks that he cared about so much That's just one no detail because overlooked that
1: <laughs> no, oh, truly. That's great. That's just so wonderful. And, you know, um, you have brought so much joy into our lives because of the attractions that you have created, that you've worked on Uh, so many numerous attractions. And you really go through many of them in the book, although we need an addendum chapter for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. I'm just going to (laughs) throw that out there. You can you can release it digitally, whatever, and uh, get that through. But um, but we're going to go to Brett for the next question about an attraction.
0: Okay. Well, it seems that you've worked on nearly every modern attraction, certainly <laughs> everything that we love in, in the parks and all of our favorites, as I said, but one particular favorite is, of course, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Mm. It, it was so awesome reading about your creative process throughout the development of that attraction. How do you, how do you even begin that
3: process of developing an attraction? You know that's that's another great great question, Brett. It's it's there's there's so many different answers to that question. I mean, ideas are just kind of out there floating around, and when it's time for them to happen, they kind of cosmically land on the people required to make them happen. You know, and uh, in, in my world, in the world of Imagineering and and theme park design and, and development. Um, it, you can be walking along and something will hit you like a ton of bricks driving along you're in the shower and you you come up with this idea and you know we call that blue sky and we call it blue sky because you get to float around in endless possibilities and there's no such thing as a bad idea and you can kind of develop that and you do that just for the fun of it but there there are other more practical ways of how uh, an attraction idea comes about. And actually, I'll give you a good example. My my dear friend and colleague, Robert Coulter, who I worked on many attractions uh, with together, um, we were in the hallway at Imagineering one day, and we saw the president of um, Disneyland Resort coming down the hall towards us. And he said, hey, you guys are just, just the people I was looking for. And he began to explain how much he loved Buzz Lightyear's Astro Blasters, and about how it was a family ride through game experience. And he said, well, can you guys think about what maybe the next one of those is? And one of the things as an Imagineer is if a park leader or an executive brings something like that, a challenge or request to you, you know, there's a pretty good <laughs> chance that it's gonna happen. And your little antennas go Boop, oh boy, we have a need, we have a want. and uh, And that's kind of how Robert and I cooked up Toy Story Midway Mania uh, and to satisfy that need. And, um, and, and so, you know, there are so many different ways. Sometimes we just have brainstormings at Imagineering. We have like a blue sky brainstorming where we're, we, we go to a particular park that has a need, for example. Or some of them are just because we want to work on ideas that are just fun to work on. We have them in our back pockets. We have them in our hearts and in our minds. Can we just work on these, and we get you know special blue sky funding to do that? Um, but it's been my experience um, that when there's a particular need, and and as you know, I mentioned in the book, that's that's kind of how Cars Land came about. Um, there was an executive who who communicated a desire to think about something new for for the park. And um, and so that's really kind of the emphasis that that really lights that fuse under you. That's that lights that spark that gets you going.
0: Wow. Well, it, it it's it, it's so amazing. You know, I don't want you to do any sort of uh, proprietary sort of reveals or anything like that. But <laughs> but just but just some insights are are so good. You know, the whole blue floating. I I've heard of blue sky before, but floating around in blue sky. I think I'm going to take that with me. So, <laughs> i like
3: like, so good. And that's one of my favorite places to be, by the way. <laughs>
1: You know, so speaking of Tower of Terror in particular, uh, it's a genius idea to, to make this into the Twilight Zone, but that's also kind of a risk for the Disney company because, of course, the connection to ABC and uh, the Twilight Zone is a CBS property. So but it, it seems like reading about and speaking with other Imagineers, you're really uh, given this opportunity to, to take risks and then be bold. Is that uh, how you would say the, the process works? Are you allowed to take those risks and to, to be bold in what you do?
3: I would say that's exactly how the process works. We are not only allowed to be bold, we are encouraged to be bold. We are encouraged to take risks. I mean, if you think about the product that we deliver into all of our parks and and other entertainment venues around the world, a lot of them are are brand new experiences never before, you know, experienced by anybody. Um, and or delivered in a in a theatrical way that has never been done or with a technology that has never been done before and all of those come with great risks uh, and um, and and I remember some of my most successful pitches when it came to trying to sell an idea for a park I remember standing up there pitching an idea to executives and in the back of my head thinking, how are we ever going to do this? I'm pitching this idea, but I have no idea how we're going to do this. And, and you know, the great thing about Imagineering is that there are so many brilliant people people there that you can toss that challenge over to and they'll figure out how to make it work. But it always comes with risk every time. And, and I'm, I'm suddenly reminded of something my dad told me uh, often. And he said, son, if you don't risk it, you don't get the biscuit. So. <laughs> that's right. Oh, but love you know that. that but but that I'm makes hungry. it fun too. When you're on the edge, when every day is a risk, when you don't know quite where you're going, or I mean, when you do know how where you're going, but you don't know how you're going to get there. That's what makes it fun. That's what you know makes you rise to the occasion and and just go for it. Absolutely, Excellent. Vanessa. You had our next question.
2: I do. So I loved the book. I loved all Thank the puns. You. You're welcome. It was <laughs> wonderful. Um, but there was one section that, for me, read like a horror film, and yeah. that's that's because I suffer from motion sickness. So um, for those who haven't read the book, there's a scene where. Um, you're like in these speeding cars and you're being whipped around. And, and can you tell us more about that? And I, oh, and I think this was for um, the test track attraction. right? Um, so how did you survive? You
3: because- know, <laughs> that's, that's a good question. You, you, you take it for the team, you take it for the project. You know, it, it's, it's so funny that, and you're talking specifically about my experience at the general motors test track in Milford, Michigan, when we were researching, um, working on the original a test track uh, for Epcot. Um, but but just a little side note here, it's really interesting that um, I, I am very conducive to motion sickness, and it seems weird that somebody that has my particular role creating rides that are moving and things like that, I would be, you know, I, I don't like, to, I don't like to drop, you know, and I worked on Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, and I don't like to go fast, and I worked on Rock and Roller Coaster with Aerosmith and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and that's, that's part of the challenge. <laughs> but, um, but the good news is I am a car guy. I love cars. And when you're in control of those cars, that's a different story than when you're a passenger. And I had both of those experiences on the test track in Milford. My first experience was I was a passenger with a professional driver out on an area that GM calls Black Lake which is so big you can see it from the moon. And they call it Black Lake because when it rains, it looks like a lake. That's how big it is. And I was out there... Um, with the professional driver who was doing 360 spins, one after another, hard breaking. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, just crazy stuff. This and, might do um, it for her. Oh, man. Not, it was just, you know, my, my stomach was out of my ears, and uh and it was as as incredible as the experience was, that wasn't really my my thing, you know. And I remember after the final maneuver, and I was so glad it was over, how he talked about, oh good, we're just in time for lunch. And that's the last thing you want to think about is food when you're, you know, when you're motion sick. But then the fun part of that trip was I got to drive this super high horsepower Corvette they called Mad Dog out on their on their speed loop. And um and I got to take it up to, you know, a couple hundred miles an hour. And that was a thrill. So that made up for the morning session. or i was sicker than a dog and the afternoon session i was happy as a clam so um you know there's there's good that comes with the bad yeah
2: well i was reading that i kid you not i kept going oh no (laughs) <laughs> oh no and then
0: i'm like is this posthumous what is that i've never met anyone who could use dramamine as a as a business expense <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh,
3: you've met one <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: patches i need more patches, patches. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <so.
1: laughs> well of course you have attractions all over the world and so brett wanted to ask about tokyo okay I can't wait to for the opportunity to go
0: to Di- Tokyo Disneyland and Disney Sea. What's it like working at an overseas park as opposed to a domestic park? Um, was it any different? And in this instance, working with Oriental Land Company? Is it really, really
3: big budgets? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. The answer, yeah. The, the answer to that question is. You know, one of the things I learned about working on international projects, and I was not much of a traveler before all of this, was that no matter what country you're from, what culture you're from, what language you speak, you know, a good immersive storytelling experience speaks to you. I mean, stories are the same in every culture. And one of the things, one of my big learning uh, lessons that I had when I was over there was that you always have to know your audience. You know one of the things in working on imaginary projects you have to you have to become an expert on on the subject matter you have to become an expert on on you know cars or bugs or elevators or you know and you become an expert on all these things but one of the things that I learned on my international projects was that i didn 't think about when I went over there because I just assumed all of our Disney attractions were going to play out the same for everybody everywhere. That I, I became aware uh one particular uh, instance when I was working on a project called Astrozone, which was part of the new Star Tours complex uh, and had the pan galactic pizza port. And across the way, uh, I came up with this little character called Officer Zizix, who was who was kind of like, you know, the receptionist on Earth from all the intergalactic travel. He was kind of the check in. And he was this really cute little character um, and a little cousin to Sunny Eclipse, for those of you who know who Sunny Eclipse is at the Magic Kingdom at Cosmic rays but But back to uh, Officer Physics, and we had uh, a fellow American there working with me to program the figure, and uh, he was he was being animated and his mouth w- was moving to, to the Japanese language. And I suddenly observed that we were still in the construction phase and construction workers, Japanese construction workers were walking by and they weren't paying much attention to Officer Zizek's. And it it just hit me on uh, on the head that we're not being sensitive to the the nuances, the innuendos of the culture. And I suddenly ran off and I got uh, an interpreter uh, to work with us so the interpreter knew the lines and she was able to direct me to direct the animator on what movements would happen and, and and what what the character should be doing when this particular phrase is is said. And it made all the difference in the world because once we completed part of one scene, I watched the same construction workers kind of pause and stop as they were carrying lumber and stuff through and giggling and paying attention. And, and that was it. So although the disney product is the same around the world you kind of have to be sensitive and and caring about your audience and the culture that is receiving all of that and it was it was a great lesson for me and uh and and i really respected kind of the process of that
1: that uh, is just Absolutely. Wonderful. Um, You know, you, in your book, you, you write about the idea of having to go and give your pitches and you talk about pitching in front of Michael Eisner among others uh, (laughs) and all these executives, but can you talk about maybe a pitch that you made that really stands out from the others is something that you just walked out of that room and said, I really nailed that. I really got it this time.
3: You know, the, the, and I've, I've, I've done a lot of pitches and, and I've had, had, you know, Thankfully, uh, some successes, a lot of successes with those pitches. But the one, a, a, as you asked that question, the one that, that first came to mind was the one I was talking about earlier, and that was for, for Toy Story Midway Mania. And the reason is because Robert and I kind of cooked that up so quickly, and we presented it to Marty Sklar, and Marty liked it so much that he picked up the phone, and Bob Iger over at the studio and the executive, uh, the corporate executives over there wanted us to come over right away. And so I remember I had a pickup truck at the time and Robert and I grabbed our storyboards, threw them in the back of my truck, drove over there and um, and they weren't really presentational. They were mostly for us to kind of design the story and the sequence and all this kind of stuff. And we explained that going into the room, but uh, we went up to the corporate offices and in the, in the Bob Iger's kind of side Conference room there, and we we quickly threw up our storyboards on easels, and we took them through the idea. And you can always tell by the looks on faces and by the interest. And and one of the things I, I've learned over the years is if you can distill your idea down to one line that is like the newspaper headline. In this particular case, it was Bob. You get to shrink down to the size of a toy and actually ride through midway games and play them hosted by the Toy Story characters themselves and at the end of the session I mean you never know how those things are going to go those pitches you never know okay great we'll call you later oh you know work on this work on that at the end of the session um, they they liked it so much that they wanted two they wanted one for Anaheim and for Florida and take two uh, of those two of them and you know and this is another great example about how when I was talking to Robert on our way back to my truck that day, after that, you know, 15 minute pitch saying, Oh man, that's great. They bought it. Oh no, they bought it. How are we (laughs) going to do this? I had no idea. But then the other memorable one that I had was I remember I wanted to pitch Marty Scalar was, was trying to um, bring the submarine voyage back to life at Disneyland. I remember over the weekend coming up with a three by five card storyboard pitch um, for the for the new uh, Nemo themed uh, sub ride, and Marty's office was two doors down from mine, and he came in from the parking lot, and I practically tackled him, threw him in my chair in my office, and took him through the entire pitch. I mean, I didn't even let him get a word in edgewise. I didn't let him get his coffee. I didn't let him put his stuff down. I just took him through the whole thing, and I said, "What do you think?" And this is an example of actually selling an idea based on the proposed name for the attraction itself. And Marty said, you had me at finding Nemo submarine voyage. <laughs> hey, well that worked. Yeah. I love
0: that. You know, my favorite, when, when I saw that, when I experienced that at Disneyland, I, well, I loved it because it, it, cause you kind of, if you went on the original, you know, or, the original uh, attraction there, you you still have that memory, but this was a whole new memory and it was so well done. And then at the very end, when I was, the music that plays as you leave is beyond the sea, mm-hmm. which I'm just like going that encapsulated the whole, The whole moment. I just thought that was just the cutest, (laughs) most wonderful theme and wonderful theming. And you just send you on your way. So, Well, you know, I work
3: with with Tony Baxter, another um, longtime Imagineer in that attraction. And that's another good example of an idea that was ready to happen because I was working on some stuff independently of Tony. And Tony was working on some stuff independently of me and a couple others. And we were all working to try to, you know, come up with something for the submarine voyage and uh we all ended up together and and working on this one and it was just a joy it's just so incredible to
1: think that uh, storyboards in the back of your pickup end up being something that we are rushing to get fast passes for. We are <laughs> thinking about, we have all these memories. My, my favorite memory, just real quick, of um, we took our son when he was uh, two and a half, nearly three years old. And the coolest thing that happened, we went with another couple and he was with us the whole time. He wanted to ride with us, mommy and daddy, the whole time. And then on Midway Mania on the last day, he goes, can I ride with Tim and Kara? And he wrote with them. And so it's like, I'll never forget that moment of going on Midway Mania. And I wasn't with my child, but just the fact that like he felt so comfortable in that space to feel like he could go with someone else. And it's just absolutely incredible. So for us, you are a you are an absolute rock star. And I know that our next question is about you meeting some rock stars. So I thought it was a good uh, transition for that.
3: Well, you, are the, you are the sultan of Segway, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs>
2: He's doing so well today. Oh my gosh,
3: I
0: snorted. I'm sorry. Well, you well, have an incredible story about the time you met the Rolling Stones and yeah. you decided not to party with the band and opted to follow through with your work tasks. I feel like maybe the Rolling Stones own you a redo. Uh, Is that at all a regret for you? Yeah. And And do you have any other celebrity stories that didn't make it into your book?
3: You know what Brett I can't tell you how many times over the years after that happened that I'll run into somebody like even recently and they'll stop me and say I can't believe you didn't go with the Rolling Stones <laughs> That'll, that, that's will that been living on for years you know um, regret, you're still I touring know. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> I, mean, I mean you can't make this stuff up it's like all the stories in the book you can't make this stuff up and that was a, a great example of you know I happened to be flying to New York and I and I was up in the front of the plane. I was all by myself. It was you know a minute away from takeoff, and then here comes uh, a, an airline's agent with the Rolling Stones behind them, and it's just me and the Rolling Stones, and they were in a really good mood. I think they'd been to a wedding or something, and Mick Jagger sat right across the hall from me, and they wanted to know who I was, and I told them who I was. I worked for Disney. I was heading to a meeting in Long Island, and and, and they were in such a good mood. They said, no, 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 When we get to New York, you need to come and party with us. And they kept insisting that the whole way. It's almost like they adopted me because I was the only non-stones person in the whole section they were sitting in, you know, oh, and, and, and I, and I kept politely turning them down. I said, you know what, this is, I, I'm such a dedicated Imagineer. I have one day to do this thing. It's a really important meeting. I can't miss it, but thank you very much. And um, and so now my colleagues continuously give me a hassle for turning down the Rolling Stones. Um, but I often wonder, Brett, I often wonder, had I done that? Had I just, you know, cast my project fate to the wind and went to New York and party with the Rolling Stones, you know, would I still be there? What would have happened? I don't know. But uh, it made for a really good story.
2: Well, you'd be uh, touring
3: with the yeah. band, you know. Yeah.
2: It is such a good story. I was reading that going, no way. (laughs) Is he dreaming this? This is incredible.
3: I was was living that going, no way. Am I dreaming this?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. Another uh, rock star we have to ask you about is, uh, well, first of all, I love Aerosmith. And I was so excited to read about when you and your son met Steven Tyler. So (laughs) can you, I mean... What was that like? Can you tell us more about that?
3: <laughs> oh, you know, this is another one in the category and you can't make this, this stuff up. It was just that particular day, it was a Saturday and I think my son was nine or 10 years old at the time and uh, we had a a, a film session uh, for the pre-show for a Rock and Roller Coaster in a soundstage in Hollywood and so I, I brought him along with me and um, in between takes, Steven Tyler, who, who I'd become friends with, you know, because we've been working on this project together, came over and, and uh, he to know who I was with. I introduced him to my son. And he said, I'll be right back. And he grabs my, you know, nine-year-old son and he starts heading off with him. I said, where are you going? And he said, <laughs> he said I'm going to teach this kid the facts of life. And he said, he said, you know, leave us alone. So, so I'm just thinking, well, I don't know if this is good or not, you know? And so they were over in the corner of the soundstage talking for a little while. And then, you know, they had to get, he had to get back to the soundstage for work. And as we were driving home later that afternoon, and I kind of looked over at my son and I said, so, so, you know, when Steven took you, you know, over in the soundstage and was talking to you, what, what, ex- what exactly did he say? And he said, oh, well, he said, he said, "Hey, hey, kid! There's, there's, th- th- this is what life's all about. I always remember, this is what life's all about: rock and roll, fast cars, and chocolate cake." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and then, and then, uh, subsequent to that, I, I flew back to Boston to do a recording session, just an audio recording session with Steven Tyler. And I went to check the microphone, and I did this thing where I, I do this thing with my lips where I make a little drip sound. Yeah and he was so enamored with that that he we, we spent 30 minutes where we should have been recording stuff where i was teaching him how to drip in front of the microphone and it was just they, those guys were so much fun aerosmith it was so much fun to work with them oh that's oh, just
2: my heart absolutely incredible <laughs>
1: Just, it's just Time so cool the, the, experiences, <laughs> the experiences that you have had uh, gotten to have over your career and then bringing those passions to, uh, into your work. You know, you mentioned your love for cars. And so we, I, they have told me this so many times, Brett and Vanessa. I have not been to Disneyland yet. I will get there and I will see your wonderful Cars Land. But uh, the road to Cars Land, you mentioned that you traveled down Route 66. And because that comes right, right through our city here in Springfield, Illinois, we thought we might ask a question of if you ended up uh, stopping here. Uh, if not, that's okay. But maybe tell us a bit about your trip on Route 66.
3: You know what? Unfortunately, we, we did not stop in Springfield, although I, I would have loved to. But where we started with, was Eric, Oklahoma. Okay. And we motored west from there. And the highlight of that trip was being accompanied by Michael Wallace, who wrote the quintessential book on Route 66. And, and he was also the voice of Sheriff in the movie Cars. And he was such a personality and such a character. It, he just made that trip such a joy. Nobody knew the people and the places better than Michael. And we we were very engaged with the whole thing. But but my, my best memory of that trip, and I have a lot of memories of that trip as well. But we drove up this kind of hillside, this craggy hillside. And up at the top of this, this hill was this old abandoned church. There was a lot of abandoned things uh, along the, the Route 66 uh, trip, and Michael knew all the stories behind all of them. And I was standing kind of by myself next to Michael, and if you looked out onto the beautiful landscape, you could see Interstate 40 kind of cutting across um, the landscape. And I was looking at Interstate 40, thinking about that, that that moment in the movie where Sally and Lightning McQueen are there, and she's talking about the Interstate. It was, it was that moment, and it, that's what inspired that moment. And I wasn't looking at Michael, but I heard him say, is that he has has real low great voice, he goes, Isn't that a beautiful road? And and I I I said, and I'm looking at Interstate 80 going, wait a minute, you're you're defeating the whole purpose of that. The movie was about the interstate bypassing the towns and you know putting them out of business and doing all this. And I looked over at him and he wasn't looking at the interstate. He was looking straight down, and I looked straight down from that kind of overlook. And down below us was this, this beat-up, cracked, weed-laden remnant of Route 66. And I could tell how much he loved that. And it was just like, man, he introduced us. Nobody could have introduced us to the lore and the romance of America's Highway better than Michael Wallace could have. And that, that whole trip was just incredible.
1: Yeah that's that is an incredible story uh and we of course mentioned that your latest attraction uh recently opened in Disney's Hollywood Studios in Walt Disney World and Vanessa has a question about Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Oh
2: Yes, well, when we spoke to Leslie Iwerks, she told us that you showed her an Easter egg about her grandfather, animator of Iwerks, and, and that's in the new attraction, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Right. Um, so we want to ask, what other secrets and Easter eggs are there in the new Mickey attraction? Something that when we go, we can say, you know, <laughs> he told us about that one. We we know that. You may have not know that, but we know that. <laughs>
3: Well, you know, first of all, I just want to say I love Leslie I Iwerks dearly. She, she called me and said she was in town. I invited her to walk through. We were still a couple of months away from opening. And the story was so weird because there's a lot of scenes in that attraction. And we happened to step into the big city scene at the very moment. I, I was talking about, you know, Leslie's family and her family's history with Mickey Mouse and about all the, the things we have and the, the hidden gems and all the Mickey stuff. And Leslie just happened to say as we were passing under this certain area, so do you have any hidden eyeworks? works? And, and it, it just, I almost fell over because we were standing right under the hidden eyeworks. works. And as you're coming wow. into the city, if you, if you look behind you, the name of the building behind you is the uh, eye works and you works water works. And, um, <laughs> and so we, I, it just floored me that she just happened to ask, she couldn't believe that. But yeah, we have Vanessa, we have lots and lots and lots of things hidden that are nods to history that are nods to Imagineering that are nods to Mickey. And uh, uh, one of my favorites is is in that same big city scene, there is a flower shop along the, the, where all the businesses are in the city. And, uh, you know, Walt Disney Imagineering is on 1401 flower street in Glendale. And that is the 1401 flower shop but there, but there are also things that aren't visual that are kind of audio related as well. And uh, one of my favorites is um, the first uh, words that Mickey Mouse ever spoke in a film. I, it was in a f- film called uh, *Carnival Kid*, and and he was a hot dog seller, and he was saying "hot dogs, hot dogs." And so that was the first thing he said. And so in our carnival scene in *Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway*, there's a scene where. Mickey and Minnie are trying to find us and Donald Duck is running a hot dog booth. But what, what they've done is they broke off the hot dog sign off of Donald Duck's booth and they bought all the balloons from the balloon booth next to that. They tied it to the hot dog sign. Mickey and Minnie hopped up on the hot dog and it rises up into view. And uh, the first thing Mickey says is hot dog. And so that was fantastic. (laughs) So that was a nod back to his history so really, seriously, I could talk for hours about all those little little hidden things that we have throughout the entire attraction. And I challenge you, you could ride through there a thousand times and you'd never find them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I trust.
1: Uh-huh. I trust you. Uh, we would. We would listen to you talk about all those. Uh, and, uh, now. Now, what we can do though is, while we're waiting in line for the attraction, we can go. Did you know we spoke to Kevin Rafferty, and when he <laughs> said that you should be watching out. so that's that's yeah. really what uh, we. We're not
2: above that. I will
1: do that
2: to every single person in the in the car with us. Now, you know, I talked to Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> On your left. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: but. Uh, you know, it's just so it's so incredible. And actually, that was one of those attractions. I was uh, meant to go on a, a vacation and of course, uh, had to change plans uh, with everything going on. But looking forward so much to going to see Mickey and Minnie's one runaway railway. And I know we all are uh, looking to see that so much. And Brett, you have some rapid fire questions. We just like to have some fun towards the end here. So does this mean I have to answer very
3: quickly without thinking? <laughs> that's that's
1: well the yes, goal. go with you know, your gut yes we, but we'll, we'll we'll listen to whatever you have to say so you know if you, if you can like make to... your own rules a bit here too
0: oh okay if you'd like to elaborate certainly we welcome all of those thoughts too so oh okay, okay good all right okay
3: okay um favorite disney movie pinocchio and you know the reason why because that was one of the things that inspired me to be an animator but i didn't become an animator i became an imaginary instead Uh, and uh, I I love that movie, and there you go. Wow. Okay. Um, Favorite Disney attraction? Peter Pan's Flight.
0: That was the first one I
3: remember as a kid. That was there on opening day of Disneyland in 1955. It's a brilliant example of theatrical showmanship. It was, what do you do with with animators from the studio who you asked to come over to, to take their craft and interpret it into a dimensional theatrical realm, an immersive thing. And it was, if you, if you really kind of pick it apart with the room lights on, it's pretty darn simple. But with, in under show conditions, it's absolute magic. And as a kid, I actually believed I was flying over London, and I still do. So th- th- that is one of my all-time faves. Oh, cool. And the whoosh. I love the whoosh. The whoosh. Disneyland. The whoosh is wonderful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, favorite park snacks? Oh, without a doubt, the chocolate-covered Mickey-shaped ice cream bar. Okay. Yeah, Excellent. that was that's good to know.
0: Yep. So we have kind of, we have this banter that goes back and forth between the turkey leg and the dole whip. And you probably don't want to be a part of that because it can get kind of ugly sometimes. So anyway, well, you probably you chose... You
3: pro- you probably thought I was going to say Dole Whip because most people say Dole Whip, but no, no, it doesn't stand. No, it's, it, okay. it's not even close to the Mickey bar. No. And your,
0: and your thoughts on a churro?
3: Yes. Uh, no. my, my younger son, Brad's favorite food in the world is a churro. And whenever I worked on projects in parks, I would always bring him home a churro and he thought I was the greatest dad in the world. But, um, but I'm not a clearly. big churro fan.
0: Okay, that's okay. Okay, before we get more controversy, um, favorite <laughs> Disney restaurant?
3: Well, you know what? I have to say my favorite Disney restaurant is the Plaza Inn at on Main Street at Disneyland, because that's where my humble beginnings were. And um, there's a lot of history there. Um, and although I do love Disney restaurants all around the world, that one will always have the place in my heart for uh, being the launching point that I had. Wow, that's good. Did you ever, I,
0: I can't remember in the book, did you Meet John Hench. So, yes, you know. Yeah.
3: Yeah. In fact, it was so strange because I did connect later with John Hench, who himself told me the story about Walt wanting him to work on this restaurant which became the Red Wagon Inn. And and John told Walt that he knew nothing about the restaurant business. And Walt told him to go learn everything there was to know about the restaurant business. And so that's the other weird thing, Brett, is in my career i've had all these connections from the time I was a kid. To now, you know, forty something years later, that that a lot of the things that I've been involved with with in my life, somehow I came across um, working at Disneyland where there were these, or um, Imagineering where there were these connections. It's just it's uncanny. It's wonderful,
1: Vanessa. Excellent. I think you have our uh, final question.
3: Oh.
2: Well, you've written this just delightful book that really got me and I think my co-host through the beginning of the pandemic. Um, The book describes just everything that I imagined Disney Imagineering to be. So thank you for that. And I want to ask you, what is next for you?
3: I'm going to Disneyland. No, I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm just kidding. Really, that's that's a great question, Vanessa. I mean, you know what what's next for me? It, 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 that's the great thing about being an Imagineer is you you don't know what's next. You know, in our in our roles in creating things and uh, experiences for parks, um, we we don't really know what's next until we kind of create it. So it's almost kind of like inventing the future. So there's a lot of fun and possibility and and blue sky opportunity and um just thinking about what's next gets me excited because it gives me a chance to to dive back into the optimism and the fun and the happiness of creating experiences that create happiness for guests around the world so uh that's what's next
1: that is so wonderful and just kevin thank you so much for your time you know we uh experience all these amazing attractions that you have helped bring to life. And that's what drives our passion to love Disney, to love the Disney parks. You're such a huge part of that. And we cannot begin to say thank you enough. And your, your book is so incredible. It's like I said, it's like having a, I was looking forward to this conversation so much because it almost felt like I've already had a conversation with you because of this. Book. Uh, and so it <laughs> thank is, you. Uh, it is so wonderful. So people should go out there and check it out. I was joking with you earlier that, um, We are dropping this episode around Thanksgiving. So actually today is Black Friday. It is the best Black Friday purchase you can make uh, to go buy Magic Journey, uh, my fantastical Walt Disney Imagineering career. It's, It's so wonderful. And thank you so much for being on with us today.
3: Thank you. It was such a joy to be on with the three of you. And, you know, that's that's you guys are great examples of why Imagineers do what we do because, you know, and love the parks. You enjoy them. And that's what brings us joy. So so thank you for everything that, that you do. Thank you for for loving Disney and for having me on your show. And it's just been a lot of fun.
1: This has just been just a joy. So we are so appreciative of your time.
3: Thank you. And right back at you. And did I give you everything you wanted or do you have what you need?
0: Uh, yes. I'm and like, and like remember whenever you said that you could talk forever, well, we could go
3: on for everything,
0: oh. you know. Everything and more. Other things to do,
3: so. That was a really, really, really fun conversation. So oh, thank, thank you very much. Okay.
1: Just a truly Wonderful individual. It was so much fun to get to talk to Kevin. <laughs> I I loved every second of that. Vanessa, talk to me.
2: Oh, I just I'm giddy. I'm so giddy. It's he's just he's just what I thought he would be. In the book He's uh tells all these puns and he's delightful and joyful and positive, and he's just like that in person. Maybe he didn't share so many puns this to go around in person, but he is a great storyteller. He's you can read that in the book, and in, in real life he's just like that. He's just a joy to talk to, and wow, I mean, so much just so much experience there, so much love of Disney. It was just everything I wanted it to be, and more.
1: Brett. Tell me your thoughts about Kevin. Uh,
0: well, I mean, he had some life lessons and philosophies, and and those one and there's wonderful phrases that I'm going to have tattooed in various places around my body for inspiration. Maybe not, but anyway, so <laughs> no tattoos, but but they are inspiration. So I will, uh, yeah, I'll take that. But uh, I loved his his stories, and you know, we did get a little bit of information, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So I can't wait to go on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway and look at I works and we works and we all works and all of that and just all of that. So I mean, and the flower the, shop and the flower shop. You
2: oh. know we're going to be obnoxious when we ride
0: that ride.
2: Kevin Gafferty Kevin told said. me that. <laughs> that is Shot. yes i'm gonna be that person i don't care what you think of me this is my life let me live it so i'm so excited it was so, so great cool.
1: It was so good. He has brought yeah. so many attractions. It's when you read the book, because if you look at the book cover, uh, he actually has like a great illustration of all these different attractions, and you can see sort of the different types of things that he's worked on. Of course, there's Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway and A Tower of Terror, but there's also Toy Story Midway Mania and Rock and Roller Coaster and Cars Land and Submarine Voyage. And, and it's just incredible to think that one person touched. So many of those different properties that people around the world are just, they have memories of going on those attractions. Yes, part of the vacation and part of the magic of going to Disney is that time that you're spending uh, in the parks and just kind of understanding the atmosphere, but we it's almost tactile you can remember the attractions you went on and you can remember those experiences and he is the one uh he's one of the individuals that has done such a great job to bring that to us and where would we be without that we love our fandom we love our disney and he embodies that so it's just it it was such a treat to get to talk to him today uh just phenomenal
2: To think, one of your favorite memories, your favorite rides, Toy Story Mania, was once just an idea tossed in the back of his truck. (laughs) We need to be a little bit more careful with the things we toss in the back of our trucks. Because they could end up being, you know, loved around the world. How crazy is that?
1: What have you recently tossed in the back of your truck, Vanessa, that you might be bringing out?
2: Sandbags. Sandbags. (laughs) it's almost winter here in the Midwest and you have to put sandbags in the back of your truck. And yes, I do drive a truck. Her name
1: is Rosie. (laughs) (laughs) Brett, any final thoughts before we wrap up?
0: I'm just, well, it being Thanksgiving and all, I'm okay. I'm good. Oh, I could go. Anyway, I am thankful that we have had the opportunity to talk with Kevin Rafferty and I'm thankful yeah, here it comes. I'm thankful for my beyond the mouse partners and this show and and, and our and our wonderful audience. So thank you for, you know, thank you for listening and putting up with all of my crazy. <laughs> you too, both, especially you too, putting up with my crazy. But thank you.
2: Our gratitude list sure is overflowing this year. That's for mm-hmm.
1: sure. Yeah, there's a lot to be thankful for. And uh, we're certainly thankful for you for listening. We appreciate it so much. And if you can continue to spread the word about us, we would love that too. Of course, if you're new to the podcast, because you love Kevin as much as we do, we would love it if you would subscribe, go back and listen to some of our interviews. We also talk movies, we just celebrated Brett's birthday a few weeks ago, and talked big business. Uh, We have some wonderful interviews and things coming up in the near future. And so we would love for you to check us out. You can find us any podcast app by searching for Beyond the Mouse. You can also find us on nprillinois.org. You can follow along with us on social media at Beyond the Mouse Podcast on Facebook, also Beyond the Mouse Pod on Instagram. And of course, we are part of the Front Row Network and you can find them on all social media platforms too by just searching the Front Row Network. Thank you all so much for today. Again, thank you to Kevin. Thank you for uh, Walt Disney Imagineering for allowing us this interview. And thank you to Disney Publishing for the opportunity to speak to Kevin today. Uh, we are just gushing with thanks here on Beyond the Mouse. So, for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brett. And we will see you real soon in the front row. Maybe the front row of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. What do you think? I, can you imagine? Oh my gosh. That would be great. Oh, Look over I there. Do you song. know the story behind that? Yeah. <laughs> we should ride it with wow. Kevin. We, 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 just we could listen. Oh my good! We can listen to our podcast while we're like in line getting ready to go into oh, wow. the ride when we're in the queue. Oh man! Oh, my There's oh an my idea. Gosh.